Hey all you heavenly humans, I'm Mandile and welcome to And Other Things, a podcast about navigating life, learning from past experiences, embracing growing pains and laughing along the way. Meet me right here every week for thoughtful conversation, challenging discussion and an all-round great time. Happy Monday, listeners. It is that time of the month yet again. No, I'm not talking about my period. Why on earth would you think that? I'm talking about the And Other Reads book club discussion. And today we are diving into The Book of Memory by Petina Gappa. In Feb, we got to spend time with a Palestinian-American family and a woman is no man. In March, we explored the inner thoughts of a Ghanaian-American woman in Transcendent Kingdom. And now, we are traveling to my home country, Zimbabwe. So, even if you, like most people, haven't been able to physically travel to different destinations over the last year, don't even worry about it because all you have to do is read the And Other Reads book club picks and you will be able to escape your everyday reality and travel across the globe using your imagination, which is free. And next month, that is May, we get to explore yet another corner of the globe and the pick is Silence is My Mother Tongue by Suleiman Adonia. So if you want to read along, you can check out the book by clicking the link in the show notes. You know, my goal with this book club is to select books from different voices, especially those we don't hear from often enough. And I really want to focus on reading books with different perspectives than our own, whether that be cultural, religious, ideological, you know, ETC. And I have some really, really great books lined up for the rest of the year. But if you have any suggestions, please feel free to DM and other things on Instagram at and other things potty. Your suggestions are so, so welcome. Otherwise, I really hope you've enjoyed the books that I have picked out thus far. Also, if I sound sick, please ignore that because I am. But this episode was recorded before I was sick, so it's just this intro. But anyway, as I said, today we are discussing a novel by Petina Gapa, who is a Zimbabwean author. She was born in Zambia in 1971, but raised in Zimbabwe. Her parents are Zimbabwean, and she has several law degrees, which is significant given that she was one of the first black students in a Zimbabwean school that was formerly reserved for white peoples. So that's the time that she grew up in. And also, unsurprisingly, you will know why I say unsurprisingly after reading this book or after listening to the discussion, she has been shortlisted for the Orwell Prize, the Sunday Times EFG Short Story Award, the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, the Penn Open Book Award, the Frank O'Connor International Short Story Award, and the Prix Femina Etranger 
and the list goes on but I'm not going to continue reading it because I don't know half of these awards or how to pronounce them correctly and now Petina Gapa lives in Zimbabwe. So I just want to say that I picked this book specifically because April 18 was actually Zimbabwe's Independence Day, which I mentioned, and it was so important to me to read a book by a Zimbabwean. Obviously, that could have been countless other books, but I'm glad that it was this one because it really painted a picture of a Zimbabwe that I didn't grow up in because it was before my time. But I am really nostalgic for that Zimbabwe and I'm really grateful that I was able to travel there retrospectively through the book. You know, I went to a private school in Zimbabwe where we didn't learn Zimbabwean history in depth or read books by Zimbabweans, which is really shameful. And so here I am nurturing my childhood self and allowing her to see characters in a book who live in the same neighborhoods eat the same foods and speak the same language as her. I didn't expect to go on this emotional tangent, but I am allowing myself to do it because man, it is time to decolonize our bookshelves, for real, for real. Also, my guest today is Sharon and she actually has a podcast, which you'll hear me mention, but I wanted to plug her most recent episode or the episode that she did um, in honor of Zimbabwean Independence Day. So I think it was just before then so somewhere in mid-April you should really listen to that episode because she gives a brief you know a brief history of Zimbabwe and that's so important that you know we get to know our country's history and if you're not from Zimbabwe it's great that you get to know the country too because I know some of y'all didn't know what Zimbabwe was until you met me or where it was so this is your chance to rectify that and get to know one of the most amazing countries in Southern Africa. Okay, with that said, here is the And Other Reads discussion on the Book of Memory. Hi Sharon, thanks so much for joining me to discuss the book of memory. Hi Mandile. How are you doing? I am well, I am excited. I feel honoured to be on your podcast really. (laughs) (laughs) Says you. And for the listeners who don't know, Sharon is also a podcaster. She has a podcast called (laughs) Candid Sharon. Um, It's a really great podcast and she always does Black Mirror segments at the end of the episode. So if you're into Black Mirror, if you're into just conversational chats, Sharon's podcast is definitely one that you should listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the plug, girl. Of course, girl. (laughs) You got to plug any chance you get. And I'll also leave it in the show notes so everyone can listen to your podcast. But um, yeah, thanks for being here. And we are discussing The Book of Memory by Petina Gapa, who is a Zimbabwean author. And Sharon is also Zimbabwean. So I just felt this was the perfect opportunity to discuss such a book, given that um, April 18 was Independence Day. So I'm really excited to have you here. And I'm going to start off by asking you, tell me in your own words, what 
this book is about. Okay. A brief synopsis. Okay. So we are introduced to uh, a the main the character of the book, who is actually the person writing the book, and her name is Memory, and she is in pretty much the worst prison you can be in Zimbabwe, which is Chukurubi Maximum Security Prison. And she is there as um, the only death row inmate. And so that means that she has to do a lot of things separately. She lives separately, but basically she's the only death row in inmate there. And the prison is pretty- Who's a woman. Who's a woman, yes. Um, and so basically we find out that she is communicating with um, this woman called well, there's a woman called Verna Stoller who's put her in touch with this American journalist whose name I've forgotten, um, who's supposed to help her um, by just writing an article on her and her story. And right now, memory is trying to get her, either get her sentence revoked, is that the word for it? Basically get her like guilty sentence reversed or move her from death row to just um, life in prison instead. And so she's writing this story and she's basically telling her story to the American journalist who's going to write an article on her. Um, so she introduces us to a story. She grew up in Harare um, in, I think, Mpakose, in this mm. place called something something Marapara Street. 1468? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. And she tells her her story growing up there and how she was always the outcast among her friends because she was albino and the kids didn't want to play with her and she couldn't spend much time out in the sun either because it affected her skin really badly. And so she tells us about how her parents um, are referred to as Maina Baba Givi, Givi's mom and dad, but no one ever talks about said Givi. She doesn't even know if Givi ever existed, but they're called mother and father of Givi, you know? So, but it turns out Givi was the, their first son who actually passed away. And then she talks about how she has a sister called Joy, Joy, and she also has a sister called More Blessings, and More Blessings also passed away. And unlike Givi's story, she actually knows about the details of More Blessings passing, and she tells us about that, about how More Blessings drowned in a bucket. Um, and so, yeah, she tells us about that. And then she believes that her parents sold her to this white man called Lloyd, who has raised her since she was nine years old, I believe. Yeah. So... Uh, we also know that memory is like well educated she like got the best of education in zimbabwe then she moved abroad and somehow she ended up in a prison in zimbabwe and we don't know how that happened um, and then she moves on to part two of the book where she talks about how she actually ended up with lloyd and she tells us about the exchange where her parents sold her to lloyd and how she grew up um with lloyd and they had you know, a fraught relationship at first, and then their relationship was blooming, and then this random guy called Zenzo came around, and he just ruined everything for her. And um, she ends up she ends up explaining that um, Lloyd was actually homosexual. Lloyd, Lloyd was a gay man, and she found Zenzo and Lloyd in bed together, and that's how Zenzo, quote unquote, ruined their lives. Um, and so, yeah, and so she somehow. I'll come back to this because I want to talk more about this. So she comes back to work one day and she finds Lloyd naked in his room, wearing nothing but socks in front of a laptop. And he's dead with a plastic bag around his mm. head. Right. Um, oh, so how did she come back? So she wasn't away in the UK, I think, studying. And then she'd, she'd been working for a while, doing whatever her thing is. And then she came back to Zim for a break or just, yeah, she just came back to Zim to visit. And that's when her life essentially fell apart. Um, she comes back from work, finds Lloyd dead, and then she decides she doesn't want Lloyd's story to end up being sensationalized by the media as it would, you know, old white man found dead in front of a laptop with a plastic bag over his head. <laughs> 
So in her panic and failure to think straight, she decides that she's going to make it seem as if Lloyd died in a different way. There had been like recent robberies around and like a family next door had been murdered or something. And so she decided that she was, and the person who done it had not been caught. So she decided that she was going to make Lloyd's death seem that way. She knew Lloyd had a gun in the house. So she took the gun, shot him in the back, although he was already dead. And then she dragged him over to the swimming pool. But memory has a fear of water bodies for multiple reasons. And then she mistakenly drops the gun in the water. And she takes like a minute trying to figure out, should I grab the gun from the water or not? And she ends up, I don't know, I think she ends up like deciding she'll come and get the gun later. And then she, so she drags Lloyd's body over, chucks it into the swimming pool. But as she chucks the body into the swimming pool, Lloyd's sister, who doesn't like memory, sees her and she just panics and she runs off. Um, and so, as you can imagine to anyone, this seems very dodgy. Yeah. That's how memory, because Zimbabwe doesn't have like great forensic science or pretty much any forensic science. Like she basically is nubbed for this for this um, murder, even though she didn't do it, but she just has no way of actually proving that she didn't do it. And so this is Memory's life story. And then, you know, something happens, the prison ends up being empty and there's like, you know, a, a series of events happen and most people get amnesty and they're released from prison. But because she's a death row inmate, she is not released. Um, so while she's in prison, she gets a visitor and it actually turns out it's her younger sister, Joy, who she hadn't seen ever since her parents quote unquote sold her. And Joy basically comes over and tells her the story of their lives and says, hey, this is what happened. Uh, Mom and dad actually recently died. And then dad left me a suicide note letting me know the story of our lives. And basically her parents hadn't sold them to, sold her to Lloyd, but rather they had actually given her over to Lloyd to protect her from their mother. Because as it turns out, the mother's the one who's been killing all the kids because she's not well, but the dad believes it's the spirit of Ngozi, which is like a dead, dead person's spirit um, seeking vengeance. And so the mom and dad believe it's Ngozi that's causing the mother to kill all the kids, but she's just, well, Lloyd assumes she's just mentally ill um, and she needs help. So Lloyd decides, like, her, Lloyd and memory's father just have a random chance encounter which builds into a relationship and he ends up lloyd ends up saying hey i can take care of memory and i can pay for joy to go off to school so she's not in, in danger anymore so the girls live apart from their parents the parents eventually die years later and that's how the whole story comes up this is the bulk of memory <laughs> <laughs> wow you really touched on every detail that was so good that you just remember the timeline so well <laughs> I, I hope that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. That okay. was it. Okay. Rate the book out of 10 and then give me your initial thoughts. Just okay. top line. What did you think about it? Okay. So initially, I was like, I'll give this book a four. <gasps> and then, uh, like, out, out of, of five. Out of five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> Uh, okay. Wow, out of five. Okay, let's okay. Let, let me switch it over to ten. So I guess like an eight out of ten. Okay. And then I kind of thought more about it, and I was like, it was just a really good book. I, there was never a point where I was like, oh, this is not really working for me. So I'll up it to mm. a nine out of ten. Wow. Okay. Good yeah. rating. Whew, Sharon, <laughs> you got me scared. I was like, oh no, I picked such a bad book. <laughs> 
and why why did you give it that rating um i just felt like a lot of elements in the book were things that i could relate to other things as well like beyond the Mm. book even to i didn't read transcended kingdom but i read um a woman is no man and some things that i could link back to even that book and which i found very interesting i think one of the things i found most interesting that i could link back am i about to blank on what i wanted to say on this we'll come back to it we'll come okay But there were like things, there were elements like the idea of her being sold, which is always present from the start of the book. I was like, mm. this is interesting. Surely there has to be like a story behind this and there has to be more behind it. And, and I thought she, she was, she really built Memory's character up very well. Um, yeah. so she comes off as like someone who's really, who really enjoys reading. And she says that a lot and it comes through in the way that she's always referencing. I mean, it's memory writing. So she's always referencing yeah. characters and books that she's read half of which I do not know. <laughs> and I was like, this is cool. This is cool. Really like it's really building the character really well. And then towards like the end, I think the last part of the book felt very much like a Zimbabwean novel to me in the way that like, I don't know, Zimbabwean novels have this thing of like building everything together in like the last couple of chapters. And it tends to be like this like super dramatic thing where it's like, oh, if only she had known this, then she would understand this. And it felt very authentically Zimbabwean in those last couple of chapters which I absolutely love that's really interesting I hadn't even noticed that my rating first was an 8.5 and the only reason I subtracted 1.5 points was because of the writing style which Mm. I felt for me as you just said you felt that it was a typical Zimbabwean book because of the the structure of the book but for me I felt like the writing style reminded me of um let's see things fall apart by Chinua Achebe I'm not sure if Mm. you've read that or Mm. um Nervous Conditions by Tisi Langarembwa and Mm. there's just this writing style that's so typical of authors who are from countries that were previous British colonies it's Mm. like a very old English like more sophisticated more formal and that was in the beginning I think Mm. it kind of it kind of evolved as the book went on but for me I have really hard time getting into books like it takes me almost half of the book to finally be like okay (laughs) I get this and so that writing style is kind of what tripped me up it took me I think 30% of the book to finally get into the rhythm and be comfortable with how the author wrote so that's the only reason I subtracted Mm. 1.5 points but other than that I felt like the book was just completely unexpected just as you said everything was left until the end you know Mm. I felt like I was just yearning to know the right. missing pieces of the puzzle. And I think that's such a great way to write a book because you you hold on to the people reading because you're just, you know, you're stringing them along until the end and right. they're finally like, oh, it's a sigh of relief. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that I noticed was that also in, in relation to the writing style was that um, especially in the beginning parts or in part one of the book, the author used a lot of Shana words or phrases mm. and she didn't really translate them as, for example, when I read A Woman Is No Man, mm. um, the author would sprinkle Arabic words here and there and then immediately translate them. Um, but yeah, she used a lot of like phrases mm. and songs. There were chunks of sentences that were in Shana and 
you know, that was actually when I was looking at the reviews, that was one of the most prevalent criticisms was that for people who are not from Zimbabwe, oh. they felt like mm. it was a terrible thing to do. And actually on Goodreads, the book has 3.7 stars out of five, which that's such a bad I'm rating. so sad. <laughs> I know. Um, but what did you think about that? The way that she, I mean, I feel like sometimes she translated around those mm. phrases, but there were times where even I was like, wait, if someone didn't understand Shana, mm. they wouldn't know what this meant or they would miss this completely. Mm. Okay, so I guess two things. First to the idea of like the writing style tripping you up. I agree. It totally did yeah. as well. It took me until halfway through part two to actually just actually like keep reading and it yeah. yeah, got used to it after that. And then with the Shauna chunks, I, I guess I just didn't register the first like for like once or twice. The first two or three times when it happened, I was like, oh, like she didn't really translate this. I, I don't know. I can't really read through the lens of someone who doesn't speak the language. So I was like, yeah. oh, maybe people will get it from what she says around it. And then after that, I just it kind of just was like in the back of my mind even with the chunks of songs I, mm. I I think I can say though with like even some of the games that like when she would describe her life at Marapara Street you know there is like games that she would talk about that even I'm Zimbabwean I grew up in Harare and I don't know some of these games yeah I'm like yeah okay so definitely even for someone who doesn't speak the language this is going to be even far less relatable because there was no translation of what the games were talking exactly. about you know um yeah, so I I guess as the book wore on, I, I just stopped paying attention to it or noticing that that was the case. And I'm, I guess mm. I'm glad I do speak Shana. Yeah, that's interesting. And for me, at first, obviously, I feel, you know, bad for the people who were saying that, you know, they couldn't get past mm. having to, you know, think about the Shana words or to maybe use Google Translate, which is mm-hmm. not very extensive in how it yeah. translates Shana. <laughs> Um, but then I started to think about, um, I have a friend, I've never read any Toni Morrison books, but I have a friend who loves Toni Morrison and any chance he gets to talk about her, he'll the, talk about her. Is the friend her. who was on your, on your guest? I don't remember what his yes, name was. Buckley. Yes, Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> he will go on and on. Um, but one of the things that he always tells me about Toni Morrison's writing is that she writes for black people. She, mm. Even if she knows that her audience may be diverse and may not be black and may be white specifically, mm. she'll only write for the black reader or for the black lens, right? Mm. And I was listening to an episode and when I was reading this book, I was like, wait, you know, this is what she's doing. When I read this book, mm. I feel so seen as a Zimbabwean because there's so many mm-hmm. references to things from my childhood, places that I know, songs that I know, games games that I know and I was like this is what she's doing she's writing a book that is not exclusively for Zimbabweans but anyone who reads it if I am a Zimbabwean reading it I will have a richer experience than someone who is not and then I was watching um or listening to a podcast episode by with the author who was being interviewed about this book and she said that Toni Morrison was one of her influences and I was like you know what maybe that is what she was doing (laughs) (laughs) like writing um for the black lens but I can even think of like you know she mentioned like cherry plum and the zupko bus Mm. and maputi all these things that to me 
bring up strong feelings of nostalgia for my childhood mm. but for someone who is american they're probably like gloss over those details even if you explain you know? what they are yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah can you think of any um moments or phrases um that stood out to you as like bringing out nostalgia or anything to you that was like yeah this this was my childhood or this is something that i remember from being at home there were lots Let of references. Think. I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, oh, um, when she was, there was a time when she was talking about how there's a general understanding that, um, I guess this is not so much nostalgia from home, but it just stood out to me as like something that is very, anyway, when she talks about how um, people generally have like a general dislike of the police and how, you know, the police is so corrupt. And she was like, but to me, that's not how I see the police because the police who brought me the news that my, you know, my parents were dead was so yeah. kind to me. But I, I, I really kind of sat with that a little because, because of, of how we do see the police in Zimbabwe and how they are like a force of corruption and they're just there to ask you for bribes and to find to find whether you're missing one triangle in your car or like you don't have a fire extinguisher that's just, or the vest exactly it's like, i will never use this thing but that's like most of the police in Zim. they're just there to kind of like take your money and they don't really yeah. they're not really a force of good for anything and then she kind of like shares her experience like memories experience with the police and it's like oh this is very interesting it's we're looking at the same force, but it's but it's not the same. We don't we're not seeing the same thing. So that was like that really stuck out a lot to me. Um, okay, I guess maybe this answers your question more. When she talks about how um, like she couldn't play with the kids outside because you know every time they would see her, they would call her out. And like every time kids saw someone who say couldn't walk, they'd be like, ah, chirema, chirema. They see someone who's blind, they'd be like, bofu, bofu. And I was like, that's so true. And it's like, it's just very, it brings me back, not so much to my childhood, but even when I would like hang out with friends or like go visit my cousins and stuff. It's like, that's that's how it was when you spoke of someone who um, was dis- who had a disability, you wouldn't, you know, it's just that thing is their identity. Or even when you walk down the streets of Zimbabwe, of like Harare sometimes, you know, when town is busy and stuff, there's people there who mm-hmm. can't walk or people who uh, don't, who can't see and they're just like on the street. And that is their identity. Their identity is, oh, there's like a blind man around the corner. That's like his identity. And that really, that, that really stuck out to me. And it's been feeling more and more like a, I, I, it might be a, a thing that happens across many countries but yeah. to me it feels so like as a Zimbabwean I guess because I have no other country to compare it to like besides the U.S. I guess that's the only other place I've lived um where here like disability is you don't even say that someone is disabled you say someone has a disability it's not what their identity is whereas at home mm-hmm. um people are very much seen through the lens of their disability and the thing with memory as well I, I think which I found interesting was that I wouldn't, I don't know if like albinism is considered a disability. Um, Cause I, I, that's not, I don't see it as a. I think, yeah, I think some of the symptoms like, you know, having impaired vision or things right. like that or sensitivity to light, but I don't think the, you know, the, the fact of being um, albino may, is a disability in right. itself. Yeah. But then she is she is grouped into it is seen as a disability for her it's like it's something that she is unable to do 
but she it's it's just the way her skin is right like it's yeah yeah i found that very uh, it stuck out to me that she was she, she was regularly identified as being disabled well yeah, it's, yeah as having a disability um because of yeah. the way her skin looked yeah that's something that i wrote down in my notes about um the the people calling out people with disabilities that to me was like that is so zim i don't think you could <laughs> i'm i'm probably i'm sure it happens in other african countries you know i'm thinking of transcendent kingdom i know you said you didn't read that but there's this mm. moment where um one of the the main characters who who is she's a ghanaian immigrant or child of a ghanaian immigrant and she lives in alabama but she, I think she was, she went back to Ghana at some point with her aunt and there was a, a crazy person, which we would call Nshana Menzi, right? Mm. And they were calling out that person, like pointing to him. So mm. I'm sure it happens to other in other African countries. But I was like, when I saw that, that took me way back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like seeing that. Um, but yeah, on the point of memory, um, I... Obviously, you know, she her her albinism is like a core part of the story mm. um, because, yeah, I remember in the courtroom in the beginning when I can't remember who it was, but one of the people kept saying, you know, you're quite beautiful, except for, you mm. know, your mm. and then they wouldn't finish. It was almost like this taboo thing to even say, right. you know, your albinism. Um, but I love the point where she says, you know, she started to use it um to her advantage because people were scared of her yeah. like she was taking back her power and being like okay you're scared of me well I'm gonna use that to my right. advantage <laughs> um yeah yeah I actually really liked that because I think it tied in very well with the end of the story um so the, the idea of like spirituality or religion or just like beliefs uh, was yeah. a, a big theme I guess of the book and I never saw it coming I never thought that that would be what brought the book to a close um because she talks about how like she's basically decided that christianity is not she just doesn't believe that right yeah and she discusses also like her mom's beliefs in uh, like african traditional religions like going to see nangas and going to see traditional healers and she also like sort of like discards that and then she uses it to her advantage like you're saying when she holds the chameleon which to me was like whoa <laughs> good for you i guess i know i'm like no <laughs> i'm not gonna be doing that but yeah good for you um and then it's kind of like all the stuff that she actually used to her own advantage is actually what broke her family apart mm. right it's like her mother's belief that like her son was telling her to kill her also that was like what the hell her mom's been killing all the kids this whole time i know that was insane bro I, I, I was really shocked. I, I was surprised that she killed like gifts, but you know, given what the what Joey was telling about the story that you know the mom felt like her first child from the first marriage was asking her to kill the child. I was like, okay, maybe this is what's happening. But then I was really surprised that she killed more blessings. Mm. I, I did not see that coming, especially given how much she had wailed and wept when she found that her found out that her found out that her daughter was dead. I was like, no way. This woman has just been killing her kids. Yeah. And her husband, her husband is a saint. <laughs> I know. Honestly, he was just like the way that he protected them. Well, first I'll say that um, 
before we found out all of those things I kept thinking to myself like something just doesn't seem right like Mm -hmm. something is off and I think that's where the missing puzzle pieces came because when she tells the story of the peaches and Morby's death Mm -hmm. I was like there's just some there's a gap here that I'm not understanding and then Mm -hmm. when it came to when we finally found out I was like this is the most is unexpected <laughs> story ever this is just right. like the story of um like traditional beliefs back mm. home because that people who actually do believe those things and who mm. still practice those things believe in gauzy and right. you know the spirits of vengeance and i just i felt like to someone who is maybe not zimbabwean or maybe not african to them this could seem like something that's so far-fetched but these things really do be happening yeah (laughs) yeah definitely i was and the yeah as you said the dad was a saint he just really protected memory protected the kids i remember there's one quote where she says my dad was my protector a bulwark of strength Mm -hmm. or something like that and i thought that was such a precious way to describe him because he really did go to like he would tie the mom up so that the mom wouldn't wouldn't hurt the children um and then there's the part where memory she keeps having these dreams that something is like this creature right is which she says is it's it's like a mermaid but it's not right Mm. it's um what was the word again? Juzu. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a mermaid, but much more like not mm. as friendly as mermaids. Right. And and she has these dreams where this creature is coming to get her and trying to drown her in the water. And when I when I read when I read that, um, because I've, I've read books before, I've learned in class about how trauma can be buried in the subconscious and can manifest either as dreams Mm. or as other actions and Mm. to me even though she said that for her it was the memory of her mom there was this one time where her mom tried to kill her right which was intense (laughs) but to me it was like memory subconscious saying this is actually the truth there Mm. is even though it's not exactly the way that it is manifesting in your dreams there is a creature out there who is out to get you and the, the her fear of water her fear of drowning was mm-hmm. actually something that had happened to her siblings but to her it was just this irrational fear that she didn't know why right. she had right that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I thought I thought um one of the most interesting things was that and she kind of addresses this, I guess, in the last part of the book, that she had built her um, identity around something that what did happen, but not in the way that she had perceived it. And this yeah. is what I was going to link back to, a woman is not a man, is no man. Um, and that she had, so she looked at this through the lens of a child, right? So she wasn't seeing the intricacies of what was happening. She wasn't seeing, you know, she had no knowledge of the conversations Lloyd had had with her parents so to her what she saw was her parents selling her however outrageous that may be that her parents would just sell her out in the open and barbers yeah. <laughs> in the like apartment <laughs> store <laughs> like she's a piece of clothing or something um and there's a time when she says you know everyone who she meets questions her story and I felt a little bad because even I was like I'm questioning this story I know you're the protagonist yeah but I'm not quite buying this uh, but then so her parents really were trying to protect her when they quote unquote sold her to Lloyd. And so she built her life through this lens of my parents sold me. And when I when I read 
So in my head, the whole time I was thinking, there's no way her parents sold her. I'm assuming they did this for a good reason. And I was thinking back to a woman is no man. The entire time I was thinking about this, when there's a time when Farida says to, who's the, who's a character in a woman is no man. She says to, I don't remember who she says this to. It may have been to, um, who's the main character in the book? Isra. Isra. Um, like you make, you can make these decisions, but basically regardless of what you do your children will never understand you your children will mm-hmm. always hate you for the decisions that you make like if you leave your children are going to hate you if you stay your children are going to hate you like there's no middle ground and that's what i was thinking yeah. the whole time i was like regardless of what decision whether they had decided to keep her with them at marapara street or they've given her to lloyd as a child she's seeing things through the lens of a child she's never going to understand either decision well at marapara street she's going to be like i'm home but i'm not really home because no one here seems to like I can't play with friends. The kids don't like me. At Lloyd's place, she's like, my parents hate me. They sold me. And so it's just like, you know, kids will never completely understand because they're kids. And it was, I linked that, I think, hmm. I thought it was a bit of like a break in her. And I, this is very natural. You know, we do this. We see certain things through one lens and then through another thing, we just refuse to use the same like lens or form of logic. She talks about her first time going to Summer Madness to Lloyd's house. And to her, she was like, oh, it's like huge house with like these behemoth columns or whatever. But now looking as an adult, she's like, that place was absolutely gorgeous and a beautiful home. And for some reason with her parents selling her, she doesn't use this like lens of she doesn't transfer from the lens of a child to the lens of an adult. She continues to see her experience as my parents sold me through the lens of her childhood eyes um, and never really tries to re-examine what might have happened. She just sticks to that story of having been sold. Um, yeah, that's so good, Sharon. <clears throat> I had never thought of that. Um, yeah, I know. I really love that. You're right. Until her sister had told her the true story, she had always believed that her parents had sold her. And um, in one of my notes or one of the themes that I had in my notes was like the power of memory, right? Even Mm. if you, you think that, or even if you don't know the whole story, as long as you have this memory in your mind of how things happened, you hold onto that and that shapes how you move throughout the world Mm. after that. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to touch on was I I noticed in the book that not only was this a book about a girl named Memory recounting her memories of her childhood, which is so meta, Mm. um, but there was also like this intertwining of the memory of colonial Zimbabwe, which you and Mm. I didn't live through. But when I was reading this book, I I felt a sense of nostalgia for that time. Like, I want to know what that time was like. And Mm. even if some of these memories in in her story um, are incorrect of how things happened during colonial Zimbabwe, of how black and people, black and white people interacted with each other, It doesn't matter because the fact that she holds that memory in her head or the fact that we have those memories or our parents have those memories, that's going to affect how we move throughout this world. You know, someone might see might have seen colonial Zimbabwe as a time where um, I don't know, they thrived where, you know, white and Mm. black people. Yeah, were were, you know, white and black people were living in harmony in the country. Mm. But for other people, those memories are really painful. There are times where. Um, you know there was segregation even though it wasn't called that you know people mm. were weren't allowed to um, 
by land in the white areas things like that and to me I don't know I just felt really connected Mm. to the country as I was reading the story and I have this quote um, that I wrote down that said um, how can you be sure that such a thing happened unless it was documented and I can't remember where this was said Mm. Um, but I've just been doing research on the history of Zim for myself and one thing I noticed is that they always say you know this is how many white people went to school. This is how many white people did this in colonial Zimbabwe. But no statistics have been kept of what the black people did during that time. So how can we be sure that this is what black people in pre-colonial and colonial Zimbabwe were doing if it has never been documented? But at the same time, my question is, I feel like we should still be piecing together this narrative, um, even if it's not factual, but taking into account that subjective history or subjective Mm. memory could still be telling us a part of the story Mm. even though it's not the full story and that's something that I Mm. really loved I don't know if it was intentional on her part I I get the sense that she the only reason why Zimbabwe came up is because it was not central to but because it shaped everything that happened in her life you know Mm. the fact that there was a white man even present to look after her is because of the history of colonial Zimbabwe but it's so intertwined in her story it's like Mm. you can't separate the story of a Zimbabwean from the story of Zimbabwe Mm. and I I really love that Mm. so that's beautiful yeah yeah Yeah. Another thing that I noticed, I'm not sure if you saw this, but this book was so descriptive. I loved the descriptions that she used. Like I remember yeah. the very first one that stood out to me was in the courtroom where this the woman who's interrogating memory like flicks mucus out of her nose with her index finger, which is <laughs> <was> so gross. <laughs> but I was like, this is so powerful. This mm. book appealed to all of my senses and and there's a time where she says you know the cabbage that smells like sweat or Mm. they were given pads that were cut in half with a dangling wing or like all these little things yeah (laughs) yeah however sad they may be yeah no that's true I was like yeah and then she also she seems to have this um obsession about people's skin she's always mentioning like how dark skin someone was or Mm. she says joy had skin like heated caramel or um loveness was light-skinned or this person was dark Mm. because for her her skin and her lack of pigment Mm. it puts her in the fine line between black and white because she's black but doesn't Mm. look it in 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 the eyes of other people but from afar there are these moments where she looks white but she's absolutely not and so Mm. I don't know if you noticed did you notice any of that like um like identity struggle um between like her blackness and her perceived whiteness Mm. Mm. um I think definitely like the 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 skin like Mm. as you've described definitely um I, I I just it's not something that particularly I was thinking about a lot as the book was going on, but I just wonder, I guess, if 
um also the fact that she ends up being the the person in the in the like in the prison i'm assuming there's no other white women in the prison otherwise i'm assuming that's like something i guess she would have mentioned but she's yeah. the one who's like been outside the country who's had all this education who lives with this like rich white man and mm. other white people from afar see her as being white if that sort of i guess maybe not if that played some form of a role in how her existence in the prison was um at least in the first couple of days through the lens of the gods and i assume obviously because she's coming from a more privileged place the gods were probably a bit more harsher with her yeah um, and yeah and even the the word that people use for her like the derogatory term that say she said people used to call her, like murungudunu i'd never heard that mm. phrase before me neither um, but i was like yeah that's like pretty it's like other black people are calling you a fake white person mm-hmm. and it's like that that becomes a part of your identity and i imagine that maybe when she was moving to um places with more white people she might have felt like she might be more accepted in those places but as she describes on her runs when she first met those two white women on her run they from a distance were like you know this is Anna. Yeah, that was so bad. I know. And then they got really close and they're kind of like, oh. Or when the guy was selling her flowers at Sam Levy's and he was like, madam, madam. And then he gets to her and he's like, ah, sister. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that part was really funny. <laughs> but yeah, she, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. She always brings up this like the the idea of her perceived whiteness mm. and how people receive her when they finally realize mm. the weight she's not white like me she looks white but Mm. she's not um and then another thing that i was thinking was that in part one she's in she's back home um where she's she's outcast because she doesn't look like everyone else she can't play with her friends and then she goes to um summer madness i think Mm. that's such a crazy name yeah it sounds like i don't know it just sounds like not a good place (laughs) it sounds like an annex like a a psych ward i don't know to me it sounded like it was like some place where there's a lot of pedophiles that just stay (laughs) so even when she was like lloyd i got a little scared that she had been sold into like some trafficking business yes madness (laughs) that's so funny i hadn't even thought about that yeah no it's it's not a great name but Yeah, when she goes to Summer Madness, she... Wait, you know what it just reminded me of? Uh Remember in high school, people would have these, like, house parties and they'd all have names. I think it was, like, Summer, Summer, like, Summer or something. That's what it... It sounds like one of those high school parties. If your sister throws a high school party, she should call it Summer Madness. Summer Madness. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. Um, But, yeah, when she goes to Summer Madness, she she enjoys the privileges Mm. of the the white people around her like she carries some white privilege because she's Mm. able to go to school she i think she had said the first time she 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 never used to have books when she was back home Mm. in mufakose but now she has like this whole library she's Mm. learning all these things she's able to go to the best schools and she even says when she finally went to convent also i felt seen when they mentioned that convent was going to play arundel at some point (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah for the listeners Sharon and I went to the same high school and it was called Arundel School which is in the book but yeah so she even says that when she went to convent she was just another girl in a in a blue skirt or whatever mm. beige beige top and blue skirt so she finally does get to enjoy some kind of 
privilege or things that she had wanted but at the same time she still has this longing for her family the very thing that you were saying before she she wasn't happy anyway even mm. when she was with her family and then she wasn't happy um mm. when she wasn't with them so i thought that was really interesting that she got to enjoy some of the privileges um that lloyd and the other white people right. um mm. enjoyed yeah what did you think about the lloyd and her her relationship with Lloyd and then how it all blew up. <laughs> okay, uh, so I I mean I can understand the resistance that she had, right? Because she thought yeah. this man had bought her from her parents, yeah. so she obviously had resistance. And her parents didn't explain anything to her; they just told her she's going away for a few weeks, and they thought she was going away for a few weeks. Yeah. But anyway, I thought you know as as the relationship developed, it was very like sweet that like she was actually getting closer to Lloyd. And the way she gen- she gen- she then frames when she finds out that Lloyd is actually gay, and she frames it as Lloyd and I were both outcasts, and I was you know, I was too bitter or too outraged mm. to see that like that's something that connected us. Yeah. Um, that was very I think that was very powerful, in that like you, you tend to see your own struggles, and then yeah. it only takes yeah. like looking at back in hindsight to realize oh this person and I were more similar than we would have thought. Anyway, I was very upset with how they just dropped the character, like the character of Zenzel. It was like he just yeah. came, was around for like a chapter or two. He ruined things, and then he disappeared. I was, mm. I, I really felt like that character should have built been built a little bit more. I don't really know how exactly they could have done that, but like, did Zenzel ever come back? Did she ever? Mm. Did she ever yeah. see Zenzel as an adult? Like no. just stuff like that. Like I would yeah. have wanted to get a bit more from Zenzo because he clearly caused like a, he's a big player in the story and how the story goes. But then his character is very like short lived. Mm. Yeah, I agree because even before we meet him, she drops hints here and there, like oh Zenzo, mm. but I'll tell you about him later. Or Zenzo, you know he did this, but mm. and then after after you know she finds Lloyd and Zenzo in bed together, it's just like he disappears so yeah yeah maybe he could have showed up as an adult or maybe visited her like I saw you in the newspaper and then mm. he visits her in prison or something like that and explains right. himself or I don't know yeah it would have been nice to see to have seen some kind of um reconciliation um mm. but you you brought up the word outcast and that's another theme that I noticed in this you already talked about memory and Lloyd but I also mm. felt like all the prisoners obviously anyone mm. who's incarcerated is an outcast cast because they're mm. living outside of the society but mm. I felt like Petina Gapa the author she did such a great job of humanizing the prisoners because mm. these are people who did terrible things right. remember there was one woman who like bit off the penis of some guy <laughs> stopped and like laughed out loud and I read <laughs> I know <laughs> I was like, what? And then she 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 says that she like spat it out and now it's like swimming in Harare's sewers. I was like, this is the most powerful imagery. <laughs> that was insane. And then there was like there was another woman who like some woman strangled a baby. Mm-hmm. There was woman who Oh, who used like who seduced a homeless man to use a semen for medicine mm. or something like that? Mm. Like the yeah. most outrageous things. Like I mean, these things do happen. We know these stories. Maybe not mm. as extreme as like penis biting, but 
these things happen. Right. Um, but we only hear about the crimes they committed once. Mm. And after that, we get to know them as people, you know, their yeah. children, the lives they lived. And I think the prisoners, the women in the prison, they bring humor to the story. I mm. remember there were moments where like... Um, they would be mispronouncing things in English. Like she kept saying, she wanted to say served, served, but she kept saying saved. She saved the time. <laughs> I was dying yeah. at those moments. And I was yeah. like, you know what? If these these outcasts and these stories, um, the author is bringing them in and allowing them to take space mm-hmm. in um, in a book that is about art outcasts. And I, I thought that was... Um, mm-hmm. That was really powerful. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the woman in the prison? I I was very on on the on the like topic of outcasts. What I found very interesting yeah. is that even within the prison system, there were outcasts in the prison, right? Like my yeah. was an outcast because of her skin, but then she was also an outcast because people are like, oh, she must be a witch, right? And yeah. then the there were people who are known as baby stranglers. That that was like their identity throughout yeah. the entire book. They never got names. They were yeah. always the baby stranglers. And I was like, that's very interesting because even then people are still being siphoned off into different like boxes. Um, yeah. The women in the prison were absolutely hilarious. Like I, <laughs> I loved when they were trying to work through, I think it was Beulah's story, the one who killed the yeah. woman with the uh, cherry plum bottle. <laughs> I, I loved how they were trying to work through her testimony. They're like, just add that you're like, you know, your great great grandmother was, you know, <laughs> accused of being a witch. Like, how would they know? <laughs> like, this uh, is really awesome. They're like really trying to work together to like help yeah. each other and like get out of here and go back to their lives. I, I, I thought that was really like precious. Um, yeah, they're they... working together as a family. Right. And then even in the end, they come back to visit memory when right. she's all alone. I was like, oh my God, I know. this is so cute. I know. But it was also sad when she was like, I wonder, will they keep visiting me? Like, yeah, I know. Years, 10 years. Yeah, okay. she was all alone. I also, exactly. yeah, I also felt like memory was very lonely in this book. And it takes me back to A Woman Is No Man. Mm. Um, I like that we've referenced that book mm. a lot. But in the book, they say, the loneliest people are the ones who mm, who, read. who run to books, right. yeah, who read a lot. And that was memory. Like she really held on to books and mm-hmm. writing. There's even a part where she says, or she talks about someone, I can't remember, someone who was writing for their survival. And that's what I felt like she was doing. She was reading mm-hmm. and writing to get her through these times, you know? I mean, she's writing all these papers for journalists to appeal, but it's also her way of processing everything that she's been through Mm. and biding time because she's literally on death row. And she doesn't know, um, I guess, I don't know if she knows when she's gonna die. yeah. But yeah, I, I love that, the, mm. the imagery of her holding onto books and holding onto other people's memories, other people's stories um, mm. to get through to get through her own time. Mm. Um, I was going to say, I thought it was really like sad when Mercy died and they like just buried her and they just like threw her body <gasps> into a grave and that was it. And memory, like looking back and thinking that really could be me. I was like, that's so, yeah. that's so like powerful when you know that it really could be you because her family doesn't know she's there right at this point she doesn't yeah. know what's happened to her family but they haven't been in contact in a very long time so she has no known family at this point lloyd is dead lloyd's sister absolutely hates her she thinks he, he she killed her brother yeah. and so that would literally be her if she were to die and she were to get oh and there's a time when she describes being hanged 
and she talks about like the neck being elongated <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah i was like imagine like knowing that that could be that's so i don't know how she was like staying sane but knowing that yeah. that could be you and i imagine yeah she's she thinks a lot about the intricacies of what would happen to her body when she gets you know hanged and i was like this is just yeah no it must be painful and you know one question I had is how is she so calm she seems so calm Mm. throughout this time and maybe it's because um she has books you know books Mm. to read and all of that and um she finally found um I guess a companion in Mm. Loveness's daughter who's also albino and she's teaching her to read and all of those things Mm. um But yeah, as you were saying about describing being on death row, there's one point where she says, you know, I wonder what I would eat on my in my last meal before I die. Mm. And I was like, dang, Mm. she must be like just in her head all the time thinking about that last day. And Mm. she's now not only is she still the only woman on death row, she's now the only woman in the prison, Mm. which (laughs) Mm. that is just just really, really lonely. And even though she has that peace of knowing you know, my parents didn't sell me. She's still on death row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the most ironic situation to be in. Um, and you just wonder like what would have happened had she read that letter from Lloyd. Yeah. Oh, yes. The one she tore up. Yeah. It's like how what series of events would have like been different had that just happened. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, okay, but yeah, back to Lloyd. I know you wanted to touch on when she found or when he was um Yes. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what was on that laptop, but I guess it would have defeated the purpose if she had like written it in this letter to this um journalist if she had detailed what Lloyd was doing on the like laptop, then it would have defeated the I purpose thought it of was... her protecting I thought it was was I thought it was porn. I thought he was watching gay porn. That's what I thought. But then, what would have led him to kill himself to the point of? Oh, like... that's true. Or maybe he was he was feeling shame while engaging in you know. Yeah, because because she was like so in my head. I was like maybe this was just like some really kinky, like yeah. web sex thing that went wrong. But then she says, even if I were Lloyd, I would have also killed myself. <gasps> Maybe like, it was like was... a letter or something. Yeah, like what was on that freaking laptop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to kill yourself with a plastic bag? That's so... How do you do that, though? I Great. mean, I understand if you if it's like an accident, but that takes like... You must be in so much pain to be able to hold that over yourself long enough for you to suffocate. Yeah. I mean, it's Which, very difficult yeah. to kill yourself in... If, if, like, like your body, you can't drown yourself, for example. Mm. Unless you actually can't swim, then you would drown. But, like, because yeah. your body naturally will... Like, you can't hold your breath Try to long, save you. Yeah. You'll have to stop. So it's very interesting that, like, that happened at all. That way. Yeah. yeah. I, I was also thinking, like, what if it was someone else? Because the details of how it happened are still hazy. I mean, she... she I don't think she... Does she explicitly say that he killed himself? Or she just, I, th- I feel like she just said, I found him standing in front of a laptop with nothing but socks and a plastic bag over his head. I don't know Ooh, if she ever says Leo. suicide. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was someone else? What if it was his sister? That would be the twist <laughs> of the <laughs> That would be so sad and so horrible. 
But what if, okay, oh let's God. just pretend as if this is where Zenzel comes back and <gasps> Zenzel came back and killed Lloyd. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because somehow they found out that Zenzel was was with Lloyd, like they exactly. were together uh-huh. and it was going to ruin his career. And his like, for his the narrative he had built of himself. Oh my gosh. I'm shook. <laughs> <laughs> This, you know what? We need to write the author with a follow-up and just say, if you're going to publish a second edition, this exactly. is what we need you to put in. Like alternate endings. We could start a whole like fan fiction <laughs> thing with this book. Oh, that's too funny. Oh, my God. Uh, wow, um, yeah. But also, okay, so back to, like I guess, more serious stuff. I also found very yeah. interesting something that I think I will no doubt take away from this book as a life lesson yeah. is when she talks about the goodwill fellowship people and how oh, they'll come God. and they would ask like what do you want and yeah. she says don't open wounds you cannot possibly heal mm. i was like that's so true and i think we do that a lot and we do it from like a point of we want to do good but then we end up like just opening wounds that for us it's like we hear a story and we're like thank you so much for opening up and we move on but for the person who just opened up they actually need to like talk more about it and i think we it happens a lot right now when they're like, oh, tell me about like the, the maybe like interactions you've had that were like very mm. racialized or interactions you've had where you felt you may have been like sexually harassed or sexually abused. And for us, it's like, I just want you to open up and I feel good that you've opened up. And I'm just like, thank you so much for opening up and yeah. sharing your story. But for that person, that's only the beginning, just because they have now acknowledged that this happened that's not it in fact it might mess with them more and sometimes we're leaving these people in situations where they don't have actual resources we can be like oh yeah you can like reach out to the black lives matter movement you can reach out Mm. but it's like for that person that that's not the actual resource they need they need someone who they're going to be able to speak with and like on a regular basis and if we bring it to like american context normally that would probably be like a therapist right yeah healthcare is so freaking expensive and if you're earning very little you don't have like disposable income to go and just at a therapist and it's like okay so now I've just opened up about like how I realize my life is so like this person really like abused me at this point or this person Mm. like really um I don't know like my my life is not what I thought it was and I'm just supposed to move on without having anyone to process this and it's like we've just opened a wound we wanted to do good but we've opened a wound that we don't have the resources or the ability to heal yeah That's so good, Sharon. I hadn't even thought about that. And, you know, I think um, that's why a lot of people maybe hold things in because Mm. they know, you know, once I let it out, that's a whole can of worms that I may have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, But when you said, um, like, when someone opens up and then they say, thanks so much for sharing that, it took me back to Matt James. Did you watch The Bachelor? Thanks for sharing. Oh my gosh, that man. It's like, I love you, Matt James. Your response has been recorded. Oh, I'm dead. But yeah, I just needed to to, to put that in there because that was so Matt James. But yes, all these women are like opening up their soul to him. And he's just like, thank you. <laughs> and he does this sheepish thing with his face where he's like, yeah, <laughs> like he's trying not to laugh oh my god anyway <laughs> oh I'm dead that's so funny yeah. um but yeah no that's 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 really true and I think that's that's a good place to start wrapping up um mm. 
but um I wanted to ask you one last question um well actually two last questions your favorite and least favorite characters Mm. it's very hard to to not dislike Zynodia she was just on my nerves with her bible thumping oh my gosh and I found it really funny like the thing that she does when she adds PW oh she's like Perlinda Perlinda I was like this is actually really Zimbabwean like someone being really petty with it just like Poibury (laughs) Poibury I was dying at that. Oh my god. But yeah, no, I just did not I did not appreciate her as a person. But <laughs> I think she is very I think representative of what I would imagine um a lot of like security guard or like guard prison guards are like in spaces like yeah. Chikurubi. I mean memory talks about how like in Zimbabwe we really know how to like lock people up. It's like we really lock mm-hmm. you up and throw the key away. Whereas and like prison rights is not even a thing you can try for in, in yeah. Zim. Whereas here, yeah, you know, people always like like better improve and solitary confinement, you know, improve like prisoners the conditions of prisons and stuff. Whereas in Zim, I don't think you could even do that because I don't know if you read the acknowledgments at the end of the book. No, I didn't. There's this thing called the I think it's called the Prison Secrets Act. So mm-hmm. she was given the opportunity to actually go and visit Chikurubi and she turned it down because if she had visited, she had to sign this like Secrets Act where she can't say, she can't talk about what she's seen in the prison. And that would have been counter to the purpose of her visit, right? For the purpose of the book. So I was like, that's really deep. It's like things are so, I would assume, really terrible there that you actually have to be like sworn to secrecy to not share what you see in the prisons and Chikurubi and I was like that's 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 kind of crazy so I imagine that like Sinodia is like a good image of what actually like prison like prison guards would be like and space like that so I absolutely did not like her um my favorite character I really appreciated the character of Loveness so who was the guard who was like um, giving her books and stuff because she really shows this like two sides of a person image yeah. where she's in the guards to everyone else except for memory who she's like regularly giving books and actually even at the start with memory she's just like the harsh god just like every other god there's nothing yeah. like lovely or nice about her And then all of a sudden she starts um, being nice to memory and she's not just doing this out of the goodness of her heart. She has like an ulterior motive and being so good to memory. Like she realizes that like memory might be someone who can relate to her daughter in ways that she can't mm-hmm. and can help her with school, etc. And I like this like double two sides of a person. Yeah. Thing where it's like it really like for most people like most people have at least two sides to their character you know depending on who you're with you're one way like when memory when she takes memory to her house for the very first time and the kids run up to her and they're like auntie auntie memory's like is this the same like yeah. god loveness so i really liked that like two sides of her the one where she's like this vulnerable mom who's trying to do the best for her daughter and secure a future for her daughter and the other side of it is she is just like this prison guard who is you know tough shelled tough skinned and um even when memory like spills a secret that she told she punishes memory for that yeah it's like she's 
in the prison, she's got the power. But in this case, she becomes the vulnerable one seeking mm. memories help. Um, yeah, I really like that. Uh, no, I love that you pointed that out because, um, well, first I wanted to comment on the names. I felt like, you know, typically when we're back home, we 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 um, like snicker or sneer at people with names like Love More, Love Ness, mm. things like that. But in this book, I think the names are so powerful. You just, you get to see just how rich the names are back home and we're mm. piecing together English words that we learn to mm. create such beautiful names like loveness or joy um, or more blessings, mm. things like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I just thought that was so beautiful. But going back to what you said about the two sides of a person, um, I did a little bit of research um, about this book and one of the reviews, I think it was in the New York Times or something like that, yeah. said that uh, the book of memory is all about good people trying their best mm. and I thought this was such a good um, like way to encapsulate the characters as mm. I was thinking about my least and favorite characters because I can look at every single character including the mom who I did not like right. until I knew why she had been doing yeah. what she was doing I can look at them and say wow they really were just doing the best to be who they thought they were supposed to be mm. even Sinodia, you know mm. as much as right. she irked me I can look at her and say <laughs> you know she was she was very passionate about her Christianity and mm. you know telling people they're going to go to hell because that's truly what she believed mm. and the mom you know she she was trying to appease the spirit of Ngozi the father he you know I'm sure he he had he felt so much pain when he had to let memory go to Lloyd right. because he was so protective of them right. but he did that to protect her I can see that with Lloyd as well you know he he really was trying to be his best and the fact that he had to hide a part of himself was just mm. really sad so I loved that um so I'm gonna say that my my least favorite character if I had to pick one would be Sinodia mm. as well my favorite would be Lloyd but really the characters in this yeah. book are just too complex to even categorize as yeah. least and most favorite mm, I agree. Um, yeah and then the last question I have for you is if you could ask Petina Gapa one question about this book what would you ask <laughs> who killed Lloyd <laughs> Who killed Lloyd? Definitely. Actually, I think that might be it. Um, I need to know what happened with that story. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what's the full story with Lloyd's death? Because yeah, yeah, I don't know that, what she that, was envisioning. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last missing piece of the puzzle. Maybe also, since you brought it up, I would also ask, you know, what happened to Zenzo? Or mm. why Why was he such a, a, a temporary character? Mm. Um. And then what I had written down was that I would ask, why does memory seem so calm or at peace in prison? That that's mm. just something that trips me up. Because as we said, you know, she's on death row. Mm. Literally, she she she's gonna be killed right. um, by someone else um, when she doesn't want to be. That's such a painful thing to have to deal with. But yeah. yeah, I I really enjoyed this book. It was unexpected because I had seen the bad reviews on goodreads mm. and i but on amazon it was like 4.5 or 4.2 wow. out of 5 so i was like i'm gonna pick this because i need to start consuming more zimbabwean literature that's something that i'm trying to do Sorry. and this is the perfect time to do it with you Yay. um this april <laughs> um yeah but yeah and i wanted to conclude with one last quote which is something that i like to do 
she says when she finds out that her 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 past wasn't what she thought it was she says how do you begin your life again after you find out that everything you thought was true about yourself is wrong that's just Mm. such a powerful quote and I think as we move through life we realize you know things from our childhood that looked different when we were younger and are now different as we're adults and we have to come to terms with that Mm. in order to move forward so yeah that's just yeah something I wanted Mm. to leave you with but um thank you for such thoughtful answers and for bringing up points that I hadn't even thought about and I think that's the beauty of discussing books with people is we are going to come from two different perspectives even though we're both Zimbabwean and we're reading a book by a Zimbabwean in this case I felt like we just had such different experiences reading it and we took away such different things from it um Mm. but yeah thank you for your answers thank you for your presence and thank you for reading this book with me thanks for having me on Mandela and thanks for getting me to read this book I was I don't think I would have ever read this book if it weren't for your book club so all right listeners thanks so much for spending some of your precious time with me throughout this episode as always don't forget to subscribe share with a friend and rate and review on apple podcasts Follow and other things on Instagram at and other things potty for more valuable content. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me. Have a most magnificent day.